You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, perhaps, you know, I don't want to, we don't want to make big, legendary promises. No, let's do that. At the beginning of the show, but it's perhaps the most unorthodox structure for any episode of the proper in history this week. We have a very... Very unorthodox show planned for all the little co-maniacs out there this week. Show structure-wise, Chad, would you say that this week's episode is akin to a spinning back kick to the face? Hmm. That's, feel like that's, that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the Joaquin Buckley of MMA podcasts this week. I don't know. Many have said, some have said that this this week's podcast, the one we're doing right now, is the equivalent of a spinning back heel kick right between the goddamn eyes. It just remains to be seen which one of us is Joaquin Buckley and which one of us is Impa Kasangane. You know, when you put it like that, it seems like something bad's going to happen to somebody here. But uh, I kind of wish you hadn't done that, but okay. Okay, you went there. Uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And you know what? Maybe we should just explain to people right off the bat why this week's show structure is going to be so unusual. It's because, Chad, it's Patreon pledge drive time. Yeah, that's a fact. Now, as a lot of people know, the Patreon for the Comedian Event Podcast is how we support this here show. We don't do ads. We don't waste your time with any of that nonsense. The Patreon is our sole means of income for this show. Support it. We rely on you, the CME listeners the beloved patrons, we love each one of them, want to kiss them on the mouth, whether they like it or not. And we have decided, you know, we, we every once in a while, we'll do a little bit of a pledge drive. We needed a new pledge drive. We, we've lost some, pledge, some, some patrons lately. We understand people go in and out, stuff goes on in their lives. We are making a push to ha- drive up some, some new patronage, help us keep the discourse free and unfettered. And Chad... We have discussed this before, but we have set a mark or we have, I've asked you to set a mark so that we will know if we get to the Patreon pledge drive point, you will subject yourself to watching Hereditary, a very, very scary film yeah. for our special Halloween episode. And I know you don't want to do it. I know there's a part of you that would like us to fall short of this Patreon pledge drive because you don't want to be scared and you're going to be so scared. You're going to be so scared, you might pee in your little pants, Chad Dundas. And that's a risk I'm willing to take because I want to see you have to watch this damn movie. Now, I put it to you to to let us know, what do you feel like would be an acceptable number of new patrons before you will consent to this, before we can do the special Halloween episode? Have you come up with a number? Let me just say, before I get to the number, no part of this is a work. (laughs) This is not professional wrestling. This is on the level. I cannot tell you how much I don't want to watch hereditary. I know that's what's so exciting about it for me. I don't want to watch hereditary like a thousand percent. Yeah. That's how much I don't want to watch hereditary. Uh, And so here's what we're going to do. I have chosen a number of new patrons that must be acquired to the co-main event podcast, Patreon by October 31st. And if we get there, then what? People get to watch me watch Hereditary on a live stream? Is that what the... Something like that. that. Is that what the prize is? We we can probably do that. Uh, We can't do it on Halloween because I'm hosting a Halloween party for my children that night. But we'll do it shortly after October 31st. If we get to this number... We'll, we'll, we'll have the live stream. Everybody can watch me just get the bejesus scared out of me. Uh, here's the thing, though. I don't want to watch Hereditary. Did I mention that? Yeah. Yeah, you did. I don't want to watch it. I don't like scary movies. I don't like being scared. It's so scary. 
<laughs> so here's what we're going to do. The number of patrons that we must acquire by October 31st, Ben folks, 100 new patrons. And I'm, I'll, I'll tell you this right now, as I sit here on the, on day one of the co-main event podcast, Patreon pledge drive, I feel pretty goddamn confident. <laughs> I feel like you, you can't get there folks. You can't you, get there. You cannot you, get to this number and I will not have to watch hereditary. I am. I'm pretty confident in that. As I sit here, what I hear you saying is that you are sabotaging this effort due to your own cowardice. Yep. Is that, is that it? I'm not sabotaging. I'm just setting the bar real high so that ultimately I don't have to watch hereditary because you, you don't command these kind of numbers <laughs> right now. As we sit here, we've got 1049 patrons. So that means we got to get down. Got to get to 1149, 1149. I mean, it's a total order. You can't do it. I'm in the clear. I'm about to, uh, get myself an own umbrella drink and put my feet up. That's how well, in the clear I am right now. One, one important thing to note here though, is that that just means new patrons, new patrons at any pay tier, like they could sign up for a dollar, a dollar a month. That's like 25 cents a week. I spend more than that. Uh, just in three days on gas station coffee, yep. that, that will get us there. Just a hundred new patrons at a dollar each. I mean, and then the next thing you know, you have to have some of these terrifying images from hereditary seared into your brain. I'm, I mean, I'm not worried about it. You can't get there. Okay, we'll you, see. You don't have the clout. You don't command the numbers. We will see. Now, before we move on to listener mail, I do have one thing that I wanted to ask you vis-a-vis Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon Pledge Drive. And that is, why is it every time we do one of these pledge drives, your only idea Mm -hmm. for how we do this is make Chad Dundas do something he doesn't want to do? That's the only idea you've got for these things. I can explain that. I will answer this question. It's because you are a stick in the mud. You're a, a curmudgeon and you're, you're a grumpy old man. And so it's fun to force you out of your comfort zone. Me, I'm, I'm a wild child, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm breezy. I'm going along with the wind, just, just going wherever the highway of life takes me. It's hard. It's hard to make me do shit that I don't want to do. And it's not as fun. It's more fun to make you do shit you don't want to do for me personally. So that is why. You're a homeless street bum. That's what you are. I'm not even wearing shoes right now. Okay. Well, here's what we're going to do. A little bit of listener mail like we always do about this time. Go ahead listener and say, mail. It, say it in your scary voice. Listener now, mail. Okay. That's that's twice. Uh, Stepping on it. Here we go. First message this week comes to us from Devin Scott, who writes, Joaquin Buckley's dusting of Impa Kasangane has gone viral because, well, it was fucking awesome. This got me thinking about fighters who are on the wrong end of highlight reel finishes and how it's certain to trash egos uh, seeing their worst days at the quote unquote office celebrated on replays. Have you wrote about this and or spoken to fighters about the effects that it has on them? I appreciate your time. Now, this is an interesting question, and I believe that... uh, you have actually been talked yeah. to some fighters who are uh, have their worst days immortalized on uh, on highlight reels. And, and like some of these guys, I got to be honest, I feel real bad for them because if you are uh, Charlie Brenneman per se and you get uh, knocked out by Anthony Johnson. Remember that one? Yep. Where the hair was going crazy. Just that mop of hair flying it, in the air. It's it's not just like a terrible thing that happened to you this one night. It's that you got to see it, not just, you know, infrequently, but for a while there on every goddamn UFC highlight reel ever made. They even show it over and over again on the big screen in the arenas before the event starts when people are just milling around, finding their seats, having a couple few cocktails, you look up at the big screen and there's Charlie Brenneman's crazy hair uh, wiggling around when he gets blasted right in the face uh, by Rumble Johnson. I got to imagine for a proud professional athlete, that's just not a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I did do a story on this a while back. I can't even remember who I did the story for, if it was MMA junkie or if it was MMA fighting. 
I remember though, at, at some event, I want to say it was in Montreal talking to Frank Trigg afterwards. Cause I remember, I don't know if his is still on there on the UFC Baba O'Reilly hype reel, but the, his loss to Matt Hughes, where he gets picked up, walked across the cage, slammed and then choked. And I don't know if I started with him or if that's where the idea came from, but I saw him at the event and I asked him, you know, how, does it bug you? Like it's been a long time. It's been a lot of years for maybe the hurt to die down a little bit and maybe you're over it at this point and it doesn't bother you, but it did kind of bug him still. The thing I really remember about asking him about it was as soon as I brought it up, he, he was like, that was my million dollar fight. I would have made a million dollars if I won that fight. And then he didn't say anything else. And I was like, are you, are you being, is this literal? You would have literally, like, I didn't know how to take like what he was saying, but I remember talking to him and talking to a few other people about, you know, how does it feel to see yourself up there and to know that that highlight's just going to live on and on and on for a long time until it gets replaced by some other stuff. And yeah, like, it's not great. They, you, it seemed like the people who did better with it were the people who already had a little bit of a sense of humor about themselves at least, or didn't take themselves that seriously. But like you said, you're a pro fighter, you're walking around, you can beat the shit out of 99% of the people on the face of the planet. And one of your worst nights is this humiliating loss. And then they're going to show it before every event to get everybody all riled up. And especially in the age of social media, if Ben Askren says shit to anybody, people are going to throw that gif back in his face of him getting kneed in the face by Jorge Macedon. And Ben Askren is an example of the guy like he wears it about as well as you possibly could. Yeah. He makes jokes about it on, on Twitter sometimes. Uh, When Diego Sanchez tried a very slow motion version of that sprinting knee across the cage, he was one of the first ones to reply and and show that gift and be like, I I feel like I would have, I would have dodged that one. You know, he, he has a pretty good sense of humor about it. And yet still, you know it's got to get old. Just just through sheer repetition, it's got to get old. Yeah, and I would imagine it would probably be somewhat easier for a guy like, say, Alistair Overeem, who had the one, you know, gets knocked out by Francis Ngannou in pretty epic fashion, and and that was one we all had to live with for a while. Uh, but that's not like that's not Alistair Overeem's only highlight, right? right? That's not his only night at the office. Alistair Overeem been in the game a long time, uh, a successful veteran, former Strike Force heavyweight champion, a lot of accolades in kickboxing, a lot of accolades in MMA for Alistair Overeem. So it's not like he looks at that Francis Ngannou knockout and is like, that's the thing that I will be remembered for unto eternity. Like if you're Alistair Overeem, there's there's other talking points that we can bring up here. Some positive, some negative about your career. I wonder about a dude like Impa Kasangane, a 26-year-old guy, came into this fight undefeated, uh, I believe this was only his ninth pro professional MMA fight. He had been a two-time uh, contestant, I guess you would say, on the Dana White's Contender Series. Didn't actually get signed to the UFC until his second win on the Contender Series. Comes in, beats Mackie Patolo in August by decision, and then rolls into this fight against Joaquin Buckley uh, on the fight atoll. You know, probably feeling pretty good about himself undefeated as i said uh looking great getting off the bus and then you know the the broadcast team spends the first five minutes or so of this uh seven minute fight talking about what a nice guy he is like that was basically the one of the dominant lines of commentary here was that impa kasangane is a super nice guy and then you get blasted with this spinning kick that We've almost never seen anything like this. If you're Impa Kasangane, and this is not only your first professional loss, but at this point, I don't know how much adversity he's encountered as part of his MMA career, but at this point, like basically the thing you are known for yeah. up to the, up till now. And obviously he has some time to, to change that if he, if he can, or if he sees fit, but like, I wonder how that psychologically affects you when like, this is essentially the biggest moment of your career to this point. Maybe one saving grace here is that if you are Impa here, don't you kind of have to just throw your hands up and say, well, shit, that was a good one, man. You know, it's not like you really fucked up bad or anything. Who's looking out for that? Who is expecting that? That's why it's so effective. Because it was a, a brilliant 
way he he did it when he throws that kick that throws kind of a high kick and blocks it and then tries to to turn it as we see guys you know a technique that we've seen gain popularity in MMA of just like trying to pull the foot across the body as a way of throwing your opponent off balance after a kick and opening up a chance for for countering him and Buckley uses that he uses that you're holding him up by the like the the foot there and turning him and he's like okay you're gonna turn me so I'm gonna go ahead and turn with it and turn right around and kick you with my free leg who is watching out for that it's like getting caught with the showtime kick kind of where Nobody was nobody had that on their radar as a thing you got to watch out for when you go in there in an MMA fight. And so I think and I think that has been his response so far from what we've heard from him is just to kind of, you know, tip the cap and say, well, that was really good. He really did get me. You know, I'll say this. So uh, if you want to look on the bright side, Impa, man, we hardly ever talk about Bryce Mitchell getting his nuts caught in that power drill anymore, you know? Like it seemed at the time when we first heard that story, we were like, oh, my God, the, we will never think about this guy for anything else. But that guy turned out to be a good fighter who had a good personality and uh, was just an engaging kind of fun character to have around. And now it's a thing that he can use in local TV commercials for car dealerships. Yeah. And it's not the one thing we know about him. So it's possible is what I'm saying. And uh, the also the other bright side of that is that, hey, you did not get your nuts caught in a power drill. So. That's good news, too. If you were a young up-and-coming fighter, Ben, and I had to say to you, would you rather be known for being on the wrong end of this spinning uh, Joaquin Buckley kick where you get knocked cold and you're going to be on the highlight reels every week for the rest of your life? Or would you rather be known as a person who tapped out to the Scorpion Crusher? Okay. I mean, I already can't recall the name of the person who tapped out to the Scorpion Crusher, so maybe that one's not so bad. I don't. I think I, I am choosing to look at this as an opportunity for Impa because people are going to want to hear about when he has when he books another fight when he comes back. People are going to want to talk about this if he leans into that a little bit and he talks about it and then tries to get past it and goes out there and beats somebody and looks really good doing it. This could be a thing where people use it as like a a character building moment and the thing that you were a part of this moment, whether you wanted to be or not, and we'll, we'll remember it. And so like we talk all the time, you, you frame the question as, would you rather be known for losing this way or losing that way? How about this? Would you rather be known for, for losing this way or be one of the hundreds of fighters on the roster right now who are known basically not at all? Mm -hmm. Like this is at least a chance to to do something where you're on the radar like maybe if, if you can make good stuff happen from here on out we'll look back on it and be like okay isn't it kind of an inspiring story that the whole world saw him on the wrong end of this devastating knockout and he picked himself up dusted himself off and then got back in the wind column i mean like yeah. that that could be something well you are really bright side it for him uh next question this week comes to us from mike jones ben don't act like you don't know the name Mike Jones. Nothing changed but my change. I'm going to stay the same. Okay. Mike Jones. He writes, Big Tim Johnson just went out there and saved us from a Congo Bellator title shot. We should all just take a moment and be grateful for this, even if Johnson had to shave his mustache to do it. So this been the main event over there at Bellator Paris over the weekend. Uh, Timothy Johnson gets the split decision win over Czech Congo. Tim Johnson, I have to say, mustache or no, is out to, uh, well, he, he lost his first two in a row at Bellator, but now three in a row, three wins in a row, a win over Tyrell Fortune, a win over Matrione, and a win over Czech Congo. We can go ahead and we can call him the streaking Tim Johnson gets this go. win over Czech Congo. You know, somebody was asking about this in my mailbag about who are the likely contenders at, at Bellator's heavyweight division right now, especially with Czech Congo just losing. I want to live in a world where big Tim Johnson is challenging for the Bellator heavyweight crown, you know? And it seems like if Bellator is going to be able to sign Fabricio Verdum, doesn't it seem likely that his first order of business would be that Fedor rematch? Yeah. So if you're looking for something to do in the heavyweight division, you can do a lot worse than throw Big Tim in there. Yeah, uh, and maybe some of the question around that has to do with what we're going to do with Ryan Bader. Yeah, because uh, he's coming off that loss, obviously, to Vadim Nemkov, lost the champ champ status, lost the light heavyweight title back there in August. 
if you are Ryan Bader, I wonder what kind of opponent you look at Tim Johnson as, as a potential next foe to, to you know, the next guy who's going to step up and try to take one of these Bellator straps from you because you only got one left. Yeah. You, well, don't, yeah. you no longer have an infinite number of Bellator right. titles to lose if you're Ryan Bader. That's right. You're down to your last Bellator title. So I don't know if I'm uh, Ryan Bader, honestly, and I look at a potential matchup with Tim Johnson while I'm trying to regain my confidence and get a win again uh, and maybe solidify as my one true home, the heavyweight division in Bellator, I think, okay, let's do this. Let's get something on the books. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Next question this week comes to us from Dave Feldman, who writes, with Kansas being the only athletic commission to do real-time scoring, why is it not a more widely accepted practice throughout all combat sports? A fighter who is down on the cards is more willing to try and come back for a finish. Let's all take a collective minute to think about it and discuss. Uh, of course, he means open scoring, here, yeah. which is, uh, I guess you could call it real-time scoring. It's essentially the same thing. They do do it down there in Kansas, and so we see it in Invicta uh, most prevalently here in mixed martial arts. Now, open scoring, Ben, was a disaster in boxing, and for a long time... It caused people to uh, poo-poo the nature of open scoring or the possibility that open scoring could come to mixed martial arts. But so far in Invicta, I haven't heard a lot of complaints. And yeah. I feel like the way that they do it down there in Kansas is is somewhat interesting, where at least in the fights that I've seen, they have the scores on like a tablet, on like an iPad, and they hold them up in the corner behind the fighter so that the fighter can't see the scores, but that the corner people can see the scores. So it's kind of up to the fighter's corner whether they tell the fighter, hey, you're up, you're down. I guess it's also up to the fighter if maybe you just turn around <laughs> yes. and take a look at the scores if you want to know. But like, I don't know. It seems like it's, seems like it's working okay uh, over there. Is this the kind of thing where like we've had a little bit of like a dry run, a test run over there in Invicta? Would you like to see open scoring uh, more widely uh, experimented with, I guess. Yeah, I would. I mean, if it ends up being a disaster, then fine. We can always get rid of it. But I, I do think, especially I think it's different in MMA because there are just fewer rounds. Like there are, there are fewer opportunities for you to be changing your game plan or a whole lot uh, based on what you're doing. But like you, sometimes when we see with the judges, you, you get really surprised. You don't know what they're really looking at. And I would want to know if I'm a fighter, I want to know what I'm dealing with here. Yeah. I want to know what the strike zone looks like out there. And if it turns out that, you know, I thought I really won that round and all three judges gave it to my opponent. Well, then I definitely want to know that so that I can do some different shit in the next round. If, yeah. if I thought like, hey, I really I followed my game plan. It's working and I'm doing everything and it's going really well. And then it turns out like I, they don't think I'm, I'm not going to win this way then I want to know that before the fight's over. It's always been kind of a crazy thing to me about fight sports that it's like the one where you got to wait till it's over to even know what the score is. And I, I want to know. Let's at least try it. I mean, you're right. I haven't heard people being in Invicta saying like, this is ruining everything and uh, you know our world is collapsing. So why not? Let's, let's expand it and see what happens. Yeah. Now, I feel like sometimes in MMA, we give too much credence to the human spirit and okay. or hard work because a lot of times we'll say something like we'll see a guy who gets, you know gets beat frequently in some way and we think oh if this guy would just go work on his his sprawl training if he would just work on his takedown defense he would be unbeatable we have this idea that like if you work hard at something you will accomplish it whereas the truth is that guy could probably work on his takedown defense all day every day for the rest of his life and george st pierre will still take him down the same is some, somewhat true to me about open scoring. Like, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see a lot of cases where like a fighter is losing a fight and the the uh, the only thing they need to do is just try harder. Like, I don't think there's going to be a case where it's like, oh, shit, like I'm down two rounds. I guess I better go out and give this third round at 100 percent. Yeah. Okay. I, guess I better now really, really try hard to turn the tide here. But like, I think the most interesting examples is exactly the one where you brought up where if you have a close fight where one person thinks that they are winning and then it turns out, oh shit, like I'm actually, it's actually tied or I actually did lose these first two rounds. Number one, they're going to look at the judges and be like, what the fuck, man? Uh, number two, like maybe that does make a difference. I don't know. What I hear the big takeaways here, the, the headlines that I will write about this episode of the CME, Chad Dundas says, human spirit, hard work, both overrated. 
Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. Lim- yeah. Limitations. Okay. Human spirit is limited. Uh, from Tom Hughes, he writes, as much as I've enjoyed watching the UFC's fight cards in Abu Dhabi, do you think the average fan realizes uh, that it's part of the UAE's sports, wa- sports washing program? The, UA- the UAE has a terrible human rights record and no amount of sporting events and tourist videos should be allowed to cover that up. Please discourse. It's an interesting question about what the average fan understands here, because how much does the average fan care? Right. That's what I was going to say. How much does the average fan know about uh, Abu Dhabi and how much do they care or do they just want to have some place, any place where we can set the octagon octagon up, surround it with a fucking Quonset hut uh, and watch the watch the fights and periodically see someone cascade out the the open mouth of a cobra as part of this. An Abu Dhabi tourism commercial. Okay, that's the other part is that I wonder is how many people are watching these fights. They're just showing up. They're going to watch the UFC wherever it's broadcast from. It's Saturday night. They're watching their ESPN Plus. How many people out there are watching this and coming away, even if it's from some of like subconscious messaging going, you know what? I feel like booking a vacation to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, right now. Yeah. I, I got to get on a plane. I got to go to Abu Dhabi. I got to go on the roller coaster at the Ferrari world. Um, maybe fuck around with some jet skis. I, I got to. I got to go do it. Like, is it. Is it working on anybody? I don't know. I don't know. And I, and I will just reiterate, I don't know how many MMA fans are sitting at home watching the fights, uh, questioning themselves about the human rights record of, of the United Arab Emirates. Or, you know, Texas or whatever. If you're watching a fight card from Dallas... Are people like, oh man, having having a hard time fully getting behind this one because we're down there at Cowboy Stadium or whatever? I just don't think, you know, it's obviously some people are going to think about it. Some people are going to be a little bit more conscious about it. Some people are going to care about uh, the human rights record of the UAE, and some people just aren't, man. Yeah, and you know what that has to do with the limitations of the human spirit. Well, there we go. There it is. Next question this week comes to us from Eamon Dunphy, who writes, Leon Edwards, by the time he'll fight next, Leon Edwards, by the time he'll fight next, it'll be nearly two years since he stepped foot in the octagon. Wonder Man Thompson, two and three in his last five, and it'll be over a year since he last stepped foot in the octagon. Chris Weidman, two and five in his last seven, sounded like an asthmatic with COVID during his last post-fight interview. Okay, well, it's a little harsh. All three have allegedly turned down the opportunity to fight Kamzat Chimaev. Jemayev is clearly a firework screeching through the UFC landscape. Uh, Eamon Dunphy's starting to feel himself a yeah. little bit. Here I love his questions uh, at the moment, but none of these three have the foresight or belief to attach themselves for the ride. Guaranteed a main event spot. Should any of these three derail the hype train, they would be propelled back into the spotlight, which they are struggling to do right now, especially Edwards turning down the Chimaev fight, smart or dumb discourse. Um, Always good to hear from Eamon Dunphy. Yeah. In the, I mean, in the, in the case of Chris Weidman, it's smart, right? I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe uh, style wise, like maybe a bad, bad matchup there uh, for Edwards though, who seems to be the primary subject of this question. I think it is a bad move. I think he should take If they are really offering that fight, if the UFC really wants you to, to go in there and fight that guy, Go fight him because I think Edwards matches up fairly well against him. I also think this is a valid point that we've mentioned it before that right now he's been sitting out for what feels like a long time and he has all these reasons why he shouldn't fight these people who are available and willing to fight him when for so long the storyline on him has been nobody wants to fight him. He's a tough fight without a big name, without a huge upside to beating him and people don't want that fight. And now you have a couple of people who want to fight him. And he's like, here's why I shouldn't fight those people. And I'm like, I understand your reasoning on both of those, but also you need to fight somebody. And the longer you sit out, especially in a pretty talent rich division like welterweight, the more people are just going to forget about you while other people are busy making their case by actually fighting. Like you need a fight against somebody. And Chimaev is a great, like that's a, a guy with a lot of, a lot of stuff packed onto his name right now. And if you go out, you might look at it and be like, hey, he hasn't beat anybody who's like a, a serious ranked guy yet. Okay, fine. But if you go out there and you beat him, that's not going to matter to people. 
people will be like, there was this hype train and Edwards stopped it. Edwards, Edwards was the guy who stepped up and said like, you know what? No, this guy is not as good as you think he is. And I'm going to show you. And then you can really make something out of that. And it also just gives you more exposure. And I, as Eamon Dumpy points out, like Dana White has said, Chimaev's next fight is going to be a main event in Las Vegas. Again, I'm still wondering what the hell happened to the whole, we already have a next fight booked for him thing. That was the whole thing. That was the whole thing you were selling us was that we're doing this completely uh, un- unconventional thing for this guy because he's that special of a fighter. And then he gets through the first part as well as you could possibly hope by knocking out Jared Mearshart and suddenly, no, we're not doing that thing anymore. But if I'm Leon Edwards, I say, yes, give me that fight. Like if you think you can win that fight and I'm sure Leon Edwards thinks he can win that fight, then go in there and stop that dude before somebody else does. Because some, you know, before somebody else manages to be the one who takes that hype and carries it over for their own gain. Like you could be that guy and you need a fight anyway. He could, you get him on, you get on TV this way, you beat somebody, you get the mic for a couple minutes afterwards, and then you get your opportunity to be like, this is bullshit. Give me my title shot. Like those are all things he should be looking for right now. Well, let me just say Leon Edwards reasoning is entirely relatable here. Guys won, guys won eight fights in a row. He's, uh, ranked number three in the welterweight division behind only Colby Covington and Gilbert Burns. And so I understand the frustration if the best thing you can get would be a matchup with a guy who is currently unranked, although obviously a, a, a guy who is kind of headed for number one with a bullet here, a guy who's who's obviously caught the eye of the UFC and and made a lot of headlines and made a splash here during the pandemic era of MMA. And I agree with you that Leon Edwards has to fight somebody at some point, or he is going to be sitting around, like I said, 20 years from now, pshawing at the notion that he should fight Damian Maya's child. Damian Maya Jr., who has just won his 20th fight in the UFC. He needs Arturo to fight. Maya. Yeah. That's right. He needs to fight somebody. But at the same time, like, is does Leon Edwards actually have a ton to gain in Kamzat Chimaev? Because if he wins, isn't everybody just going to be like, well, I guess we, we overhyped that guy. And if he loses, then like, he, he drops a good bit in the rankings. He might He might drop all the way out for all we know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people will do a thing to some extent of saying like, okay, we overhyped that guy. But also I think people, don't you think a lot of people would look at that and be like, Leon Edwards is really good. Everybody was talking about how how quickly can Chimaev end up in a title fight. People are are taking the bait on Chimaev. People are, are getting really hyped. And so if you beat him, then you'd be like, no, you know who's really good? Leon Edwards is really good. Yeah, I don't know. I I just think that if you have that opportunity, you got to fight somebody. And if you're looking around at all the like Wonder Man, I think I think his point was more like better made about Wonder Man that if you go out there and you beat Stephen Thompson, people are going to be like, man, he's on the way down. Uh, We saw his peak and he's trending down the other way. Uh, If you beat Chimaev, who seems like he's on the way up and you're the guy who puts a stop to it. And it's like, nope, he's not ready for that. That title fight. I am. I, I think you can really make something out of that. Well, Ben, we promised an unorthodox structure to this week's co-main event podcast proper. And now here we are having exhausted listener mail, by the way, if you have a question, comment, or concern for the co-main event podcast, you do know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website, comainevent.com, Click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That gets you in touch with us. But here we are. Having arrived now, Ben, somehow, some way, at the co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. That's right. See, because if if you're one of these people who you only listen to the proper, the co-main event on Mondays, then you probably don't even know what's happening over there on the Friday Power Hour. But each you week, don't even know how powerful no. these power rankings can be. You have not even glimpsed the power. And yet every Friday on the Power Hour, we have the CME Patreon Power Hour, Power Rankings, the most powerful and well-named segment in all of broadcast media. We didn't do it last week because we were too busy watching Elite XC Heat. Yeah. And that was a ride. 
That was that was a journey back in time. I think we all enjoyed we, that. We don't regret it. But as part of our Patreon pledge drive, we thought we'd give you a taste of what you're missing with the Friday Power Hour by showing you all the fun that can be had in these power rankings. And honestly, if you wanted to sign up and support the podcast, you don't even have to listen to it. If it turns out that you don't like it, you can just support this here podcast, help out your guys. We, we won't be mad at you. We won't be, we won't be asking you each week if you listened. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So here it is, your free taste. We got them WMDs. So we're going to go ahead and give this one to you free. See if you'll be coming back later to pay for it. Co-main event podcast, Patreon, Power Hour, Power Rankings, counting them down from 10 to 1, the most powerful occurrences in the MMA world. Number 10 this week, Ben, Marlon Marais thought that stoppage was, quote, a little early. Now, see, on a normal week, this would probably be the big ticket item of the week. We would be talking about Corey Sandhagen spinning wheel kick knockout of Marlon Marais in the main event of this UFC fight night over the weekend on ESPN Plus, uh, especially considering, uh, you know, big time bantamweight action here. A couple guys trying to punch their ticket to a title shot and Sandhagen ultimately emerges with second round TKO. Uh, not, I mean, the Joaquin Buckley thing, kind of one of a kind. We got to give our props to that. On top of that, the Sandhagen thing wasn't a one hitter quitter. He kind of he clips Marlon Marais near the top of the head with the the spinning kick and then follows it up with punches. Referee comes in and uh, makes the stoppage. Now, I have to admit, when I first saw it, I thought maybe it was a little bit early. Uh, but then, you know, things get separated. The two fighters get separated. Marlon Marais not exactly passing the what the fuck test mm-hmm. there in the cage. He wasn't exactly jumping to his feet asking what the hell was going on. Here is his quote. From the post-fight show, he says, he kind of caught me with a kick and bloodied my eye a little bit, and right after, he surprised me. So I believe he's actually probably talking about the question mark kick there that Corey Sanhagen lands uh, right before the spinning wheel kick. He didn't come this way. He came the other way, and that's it. Probably a little early stoppage, but whatever. I thought I was able to continue, but the ref just jumped on me. I didn't have enough time to get up. I just got caught. He caught me. I was doing good the first round. It was a good fight. I was very excited for this fight. Unfortunately, I got caught. Uh, I caught a lot of guys before, but this was not my day. Reading these from the Mike Bone, Mike Bad to the Bone story over there on MMA Junkie. What do you make of this, Ben? Was that an early stoppage on Marlon Marais after he got kicked upside his damn head twice? I, I kind of feel like I'm inclined to agree with Marlon that it was an. it might have been an early stoppage or whatever. Like it might have been just a tad early, but maybe not so much that it changed the outcome of the fight. Yeah. Because it looked like he was kind of on his way to to being thumped there a little bit on the mat. And I don't know. I think I think the referee probably made the right call there and saved him from a little bit more of a beating. But I can understand how Marlon would feel that way. Yeah. Uh, what about Corey Sandagen here calling out Marlon Moraes for having a broken broken orbital? Uh, like moments before this, this was one of the stranger moments during this fight. He lands that question mark kick uh, right upside the the head of Marlon Moraes. And then a couple seconds later, Sandhagen is pointing at him and announcing as if to the world, he's got a broken orbital. I mean, that is some Dr. Joe Rogan type shit. Yes. I thought only he yeah. could could take a look at it like that and diagnose somebody immediately. It's impressive. They must have gone to the same medical school. Corey Sandhagen got that x-ray vision, yo. Number nine this week, Ben, even Corey Sandhagen can admit that Aljamain Sterling deserves the next title shot. But if the UFC offers it to him, he'd, quote, feel really bad, but take it anyway. Here's the quote. Uh, I would feel really bad if they did me and Jan and did that to Sterling, Sandhagen said. This again from the post-fight press conference. That said, it's a dog-eat-dog sport, so if they give me that shot, I'm taking that shot. But I think it should be Sterling and Jan. That from uh, Damon Martin's story over on MMA Fighting. Ben, what's Corey Sanhagen doing over here saying he'll take it, but essentially trying to talk his way out of a fight with uh, Peter Yawn right now? I, th- I mean, I take this as Corey Sanhagen has too pure a heart. Yeah. He, he, he knows that what's right is right. He knows that in a fair and just world, Aljamain Sterling deserves that Peter Yawn title fight. And he just lost to, to Aljamain Sterling. I think, honestly, I, one of the things I wrote in my column after this was that we kind of owe Corey Sandhagen a thanks here for giving us more clarity or giving maybe the UFC fewer options when it comes to the bantamweight title picture. Because it has seemed for a while like 
I don't know, is the UFC trying to avoid giving Aljamain Sterling a title shot? Because it seems obvious that he should be the next guy. And it also seemed like maybe they're waiting to see who comes out of this fight. Like if Marlon Moraes had won, maybe you go, well, hey, Marlon Moraes beat Aljamain Sterling a few years back. And then, you know, he, he just won this one. So maybe he gets the title shot instead. And by beating Moraes in his first fight after getting submitted by Sterling, that seems to narrow the options that you kind of have to give it to Aljamain Sterling now. And he realizes that. And I mean, I, what he said about it being a doggy dog world. And if they do give me this title shot, even while I will think it's fucked up, what am I going to do? Say no, like, I'm I'm going to you know, it was like, you know, if you were the the beneficiary of an injustice, you're going to be like, uh, I will say that it's wrong, but I will also take that. And because that is what I'm trying to get out of my career. And, but I, I like what he is doing, especially in terms of saying like, hey, I think Aljamain Sterling is probably next. But looking to who he could call out, like him talking about Frankie Edgar or maybe TJ Dillashaw or something and being like, okay, those guys seem like, I mean, when Dillashaw comes back from his JPD and suspension, like those guys seem like they're in the conversation. Somebody like Frankie Edgar, you need somebody with your name if you're Corey Sandhagen. You also know if you're doing the math. Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan has not yet even been booked or announced yet. So there'll be a few months, like even if they announce it today, it's going to be a couple months before the fight actually takes place. And then there will have to be a few months afterwards, like that whoever is the champ still after that fight is not going to jump right back into a fight immediately with you. So you're looking at a few months before you could have an opportunity and a lot of stuff could happen in the meantime. You need another fight. You need to get another win, preferably over some high-profile guy. Frank Yeager checks a lot of boxes for you. I think it's a smart move by Corey Sandhagen. Number eight this week, Ben. Yanni Blackjacks knows why John Jones really went to heavyweight. To escape his legendary Polish power. Okay. Here's the quote. You see what I did with Dominic's. What Dominic Blakovich said, he just escaped because he didn't want to lose against me, meaning John Jones. I understand that. He's afraid, and so he went to heavyweight. He just wants to escape from the legendary Polish power. That's why he went to heavyweight. He's afraid of the legendary Polish power. See, I mean, we're playing a little fast and loose with both perhaps reality and the timeline here. Uh, Even though God knows everyone on this show, we love Yanni Blackjacks. He's a fun guy to have around. If you're not going to have John Jones be light heavyweight champion, I'm frankly pretty happy that it's uh, Jan Blagovitz out there because at least we're all having fun. And so I understand what he's doing here, but John Jones did in fact split for heavyweight when it appeared that Dominic Reyes would probably be his next opponent. He, I, he, John Jones wasn't looking into the crystal ball and being like, Blackjacks, he's got the upper hand here. <laughs> Uh, I'm reminded of the scene in Life Aquatic where uh, Owen Wilson's character offers to just give them some money from his inheritance. And the answer on the other end of the phone comes, what's the expression on the lad's face as he said that just now? And that's kind of what I feel like I need to know here about this Yanni Blackjack's quote. What was the expression on his face? What was the tone of his voice while he said this? Because you mentioned the legendary Polish power once and I'm like, okay. Maybe this guy is really feeling good about himself after that knockout. You know, he feels like he's got that suicide rope in his back pocket. Nobody can fuck with him now. You mentioned the legendary Polish power twice in this answer. And I feel like, okay, we're having fun. Yeah, We're having fun. We all know what we're doing. And hey, I can get along for the ride. Uh, I'm into it. No, I agree. I agree. Which let's just all, let's try to keep the timeline straight. Yanni, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Number seven this week, Ben, Henner Gracie has COVID and he won't be there to corner Brian Ortega for the first time in Brian Ortega's career. Uh, Henner Gracie made this announcement, I believe himself over on Twitter. Is this, is this something that we feel like could hamper T-City? He's supposed to go out there, uh, go out there and, and fight the Korean zombie Saturday on Fight Island and we, he's not going to have Henner Gracie with him. Is this, is this trouble for Brian Ortega or no big deal? Uh, I feel like it's probably not that big a deal just because, you know, here's one where I think a hair Gracie can sometimes be a bit of a blowhard at times. But uh, here, here he actually make, made a good point where he said when he was talking to Brian Ortega about it, he was like, you know, the aspect that I specialize in with you is jujitsu, which is really your strongest, uh, strongest part of your game at this point. It's like you need me the least of anybody in your corner. So. If if anybody has to be the one who stays home with COVID, 
it should probably be me. And I feel like there's some there's something to that logic there. I think Brian Ortega at this point, like he he's pretty much got the jujitsu side of his game pretty solid. Uh, I, you know, obviously it's a bummer if you go through the whole training camp and everything. You think that you guys are are going to end up uh, all together as a team in the corner, especially if he's been there for all your fights. You, you know, you don't want to not have the guy. But also, he can't be bringing that COVID to Fight Island, man. They will not have it. There's a damn bubble over there. I know it's actually working well. Yeah. Yeah. Got to keep that out of there at all costs. Uh, yeah. Brian Ortega has kind of the uh, the two-headed monster as well in terms of like uh, fighting coaches slash uh, mentors. He's also got the boxing coach uh, whose name actually escapes me at the moment. Um, James something, I believe, who was like, you know, one of the guys who was chiefly responsible for for plucking Brian Ortega off the mean streets and uh, turning him into a pro fighter. Those guys still go work out in the, in that guy's garage and stuff. So it's not as though Brian Ortega will be completely without leadership. He won't be completely rudderless. I don't even know that we would expect a guy like Brian Ortega to need that sort of direction at this point in his career. Anyway, we kind of think of Brian Ortega, I guess with the notable exception of that one time he slapped that rapper dude. Uh, we think of him as sort of a level headed, even keeled professional. He'd probably be fine no matter which coaches could be there or couldn't. So I think uh, I'm not too worried about T city here. And he did heading into this, this fight. He did apologize for slapping that rapper. And it was, it was a good apology. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just going to say again, I feel like Brian Ortega versus Chan Sung Jung snuck up on me. Like every, I feel like the UFC schedule just keeps me so uh, dizzy and confounded that, that here we are staring down the barrel of what could be a legitimately very awesome fight over there at fight Island on October 18th. And I feel like I have not prepared either mentally or physically. You do for this seem thing to go down. You seem dizzy and confounded. Yeah. I was going to say deal. something. Yeah. Number six this week, Ben MVP said he would have looked even better in his fight in Paris. If that damn Bellator canvas hadn't been so slippery, I don't like to make any types of excuses whatsoever. And no, I've been of in this not. situation before, but this is the worst I've had it. The worst I've ever had it. Page said after the fight, this from, uh, Danny Segura's story over there on MMA Junkie. The canvas was so slippery, I literally couldn't execute any of my game plans because my whole game uh, derives on my moving on me moving my feet and being able to be agile in and out, land shots, and get out. Whew. What do you make of this, Ben? A blistering indictment of the surface, the fighting surface from MVP Michael Venom Page. I, I mean, is Bellator using wildly different? consistencies of their mats do you think that the, i would think it'd be pretty standard at this point you'd think maybe they had to do uh maybe they had to go with something different maybe couldn't get the couldn't get the real bellator mat through customs into paris yeah you know That's why because it. it's stuffed with cocaine that's why okay i knew the there bellator was some surface, kind of the bellator yeah. fighting surface is 85 percent cocaine a lot of people don't know that <laughs> i mean yeah. michael page still wins he still gets the win here yeah, but it wasn't a great fight. And honestly, Michael Page has been uh, saying a few different things that makes me wonder about his grip on reality right now. Like his, his feeling that uh, Douglas Lima is ducking him. And it's like, man, he knocked you out. Like we saw it. It wasn't that long ago. It was a great knockout that he pulled off. It was like a kind of a big deal. I don't know if he's really out there just feeling like, well, the, the thing that terrifies me most is a rematch with that guy. Like, uh, I don't know. Kind of feels like Michael Page is doing a lot of just saying stuff lately. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're Michael Page, aren't you just kind of trying to keep the hype afloat at this point? Like we don't, I guess so. It doesn't seem like he's bound for Bellator gold or, or you know, anything to uh, of that nature. It seems like Michael Page is, is I hate to say it, but it, he is what he is here uh, in terms of being a, a – an attraction you guy, you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to go out there and do his thing. And it kind of seems like we've all decided that's, that's good enough. So if you're Michael page, I guess at least you're saying something. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but Bellator keeps trying to tee the guy up and how does he repay him by complaining about their cocaine mat? <laughs> no, they couldn't bring the cocaine mat. That's uh, okay. The point. Okay. I get it. Had to leave the okay. cocaine mat at home. Couldn't get it through customs. Number five this week, Ben Darren Till just wants to be helpful and corner his friend, Mike Perry. While Mike Perry vows to ruin Till's life in their eventual fight. This tweeted by platinum Mike 
Michael Joseph Perry at Platinum Perry on Twitter 22 hours ago. You said it years ago, Darren Till, and you were right. You said me and you were meant to fight. I'm going up to middleweight and I'll be small and fast and you'll be big and slow. I'm going to ruin your life. You'll be spitting out teeth much sooner than expected. Purple devil emoji knife emoji. Okay. I like how when you're reading off Mike Perry tweets, you, you have to, you, you end up having to describe some emojis yeah. pretty often. It's there. Uh, now, I'm, once again, as you said, I'm just the old man here setting my ways, trying not to have too many new experiences. Is there a reason why the devil is purple? Does that, does that mean something? Is that, does that mean something to the kids or no? Is it just a purple, purple devil? I don't know. Too I mean, much into it. I don't know how many different colors devil options there are on the emoji keyboard, but he does use this one fairly regularly. I know that as a follower of Mike oh, Perry. It's a go-to emoji for Mike Perry. He, he likes, I mean, I think he identifies with the, the devil emoji. Also, um, a, a follow-up tweet here, I believe. Life is definitely a simulation because y'all so fake. I can't change you, but I can do whatever I want and y'all can't stop me. You're lame. L is capitalized and lame and I'm untamed. Hashtag fame. Hmm. So, so that's, well, I mean, that's, I'm sorry. That's not a tweet. That's actually his bio. That's, that's his bio. Okay. So that is, that's a lot to take in. Well, but you know I, what I have to say to that? What? Purple devil emoji question mark. He also uh, says that he was never considering Darren Till's quote unquote weak ass 5K offer for the corner spot that Darren could have offered him 50K and he wouldn't have accepted his offer. Quote, the media runs the MMA game, though, so they were just getting off on drama. I feel like maybe Mike Perry has seen us there a little bit. Like in in a kind of Diaz's fashion, every once in a while, Mike Perry, when he's just lashing out in all directions, puts his finger right on the pulse. But I, I don't know. Here's Darren. We were talking about it, how we feel like Darren Till, if he got that corner spot, if he, if he bought and paid for it and showed up there as Mike Perry's other corner man along with his girlfriend, that he would actually do a good job. And I feel like he would. And and he, I feel like Darren Till just keeps trying to give Mike Perry a hug and Mike Perry just keeps shoving him away. There's no question that Darren Till would pour his whole heart and soul into that corner man duty yeah. as far as I'm concerned. He'd want to get his 5K worth as much as the rest of us. Yes, he would. Number four this week, Ben. Are people just out here playing with Dustin Poirier's emotions? Yep. Mm -hmm. Are they? They are, aren't they? They are. I think they are. Because honestly, I I was paying attention, you know, pretty closely what's going on with Dustin Poirier. Because he's been doing some good work on Twitter. Like when he is posting a picture of himself ready to sign the contract and his hand is poised above the countertop and there's no like like he's just waiting for somebody to slide the piece of paper under there so he can sign his name to it i'm like okay that's pretty good and he was recently posting about how he's headed back to south florida back to american top team gonna get back in the gym and it seemed like work yeah seemed like okay maybe something is close to happen here the ufc conor mcgregor kept saying like oh i'm gonna fight dustin poirier and the ufc being like we have issued a contract and we've we're giving him a deadline to sign it. Everybody seems like they're using Dustin Poirier as the the good natured and trusting pawn in their games as they bicker back and forth between each other. And and damn it, it's just not fair. And he tweeted, "This was yesterday." Just one word, Dana? Question mark. And you're just like, "What? Don't do this to Dustin Poirier. Not Dustin." There's plenty of other people who might deserve to have their emotions toyed with in, in such a fashion. Not Dustin Poirier. Not the yeah. diamond, Chad. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. He says, uh, the UFC hasn't offered him a fight yet, but they will soon. I feel it in my plums. <laughs> See, come on. How you not going to like this guy? Number three this week, Ben. Israel Adesanya knows what's really going on with people over his over angry over his dry hump celebration homophobia bro okay okay that's an interesting theory this uh over there on mma fighting from damon martin again israel adesanya i could give a fuck what they think to be honest israel adesanya said of of the criticism i didn't even think about it and i didn't even plan it 
it was justified. Like, you know, when you're on call of duty and you smoke someone with a headshot and you go over them and press circle down, <laughs> up, down, uh, and kind of teabag them. That's kind of what I did. What it, what it is, is homophobia. People are just mad. Uh, why are you doing that? You're not a man because they feel inadequate questioning their own sexuality. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. It seems Israel Adesanya really knows his way around call of duty. Yeah. And he also, I feel like, knows his audience, that he can be like, how do I put it in a way that MMA fans are going to understand it? I know. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's like when you're playing Call of Duty and instantly a bunch of dudes just went, okay, yeah, go on. You have my attention now. I, you're, I, I, have, I have the proper frame of reference for this conversation. Picking up what you're putting down. Mm -hmm. Number two this week, Ben, ESPN Scott Van Pelt doesn't know how you savages can watch and enjoy stuff like this awesome spinning back kick KO. Now, are we like a little surprised that this kind of stuff hasn't happened more often during the uh, ESPN UFC partnership? Uh, Scott Van Pelt, obviously the the host, basically has his own sports center these days, right? Like kind of like the late night uh, ESPN show so one of one of the big dogs over there at espn uh not not a big fan of the mma knockout highlights probably not a big fan of the mma altogether with and uh i don't know man i just feel like the espn ufc partnership has gone unbelievably smoothly for the most part up to this point we can count on one one hand the number of times mickey mouse has had to call dana white and tell him to stand down uh and stand by uh but here we go. This like this is this is one of the things where like you've got kind of like an old school, old line ESPN head saying he's not that into this product. And I just got to say, frankly, I thought this stuff would would happen more often. I'm surprised that it has not. I, it's kind of. I mean, he explained himself a little bit better. I saw him talking with people on Twitter, and as you would expect, the MMA fan base logged onto Twitter to call him yeah. a bunch of names afterwards. Yeah. So because that's just what they're going to do. But MMA fans are not just going to stand back while someone does not enjoy the sport. No, like, no we're going to make you're wrong. sure that that person hates the shit out of the sport forever. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, yeah. They're going to tell you that you are wrong and possibly also a bitch. Like that is, that is what they're going to do. It's, it's just hardwired. And so, uh, you know, obviously I wish people wouldn't do that. And like, cause I could understand, I guess I understand what it, it's weird to me in the context to be like, Hey, we're showing you these highlights. Cause imagine like a, you show a, a highlight of somebody hitting a buzzer beating shot and basketball. And then they cut to the anchor and he's like, you know, I don't care for basketball. Right. <laughs> Not my thing. I just, the, there's too many, there's too many baskets being made. The, the point, there's too many points. I prefer soccer or something where, uh, you know, the, there's so few goals that it's a big deal every time somebody scores. I don't, I don't care for basketball, I don't, but I, I understand people like it. That's fine. You know, like it'd just be kind of weird, like in the highlight context to just be saying stuff like that. But at the same time, uh, this is a thing that you and I have talked about before, about how whenever somebody comes on TV, like Dana White or some other fight promoter or somebody else just talking, saying stuff on TV and they're like, MMA is going to be the biggest sport in the world. And we go. No, it won't. Like we enjoy it. We really like it a whole lot, but I can see why people wouldn't. And this is a, cause this is uh, a hurting game and that is not going to be for everybody. And I can see how somebody would look at it at this moment and be like, okay, you guys are all super excited about this guy getting his head nearly kicked off. That seems weird to me. Like I can understand how, how a person might have that reaction and that's fine. And like, I, I also a little bit agree with them that maybe we're kind of sickos in a way for being into that because this is what it is. Like this is a, a sport where we're trying to hurt each other for money. Like that's the goal. It's not like in football where, or like some other sports where it's like people get hurt sometimes very badly, but it's not the sole like desired outcome. It, you're trying to do something else. And in the service of that, you occasionally hurt each other. So I guess I can understand it. It's just a little, it's a weird moment to, to bring that up and to, to lodge that criticism. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think we know that this, it's just not everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody is going to be into this thing the same way that we are. And I think we, most of us have made peace with that. The one thing uh, on top of like, as you say, it being kind of a weird platform to bring up your criticism as a, a person who has spent most of his professional 
adult life working in, in sports writing and being around other sports writers and uh, realizing that a lot of those other sports writers have no interest in MMA whatsoever, even to this day, like still just not on their radar. Not they're, they're not into it. I think it's weird for that subset of journalists to kind of like, you know, make these indictments of MMA where like, whereas if the next highlight on the Scott Van Pelt show was somebody getting completely obliterated on, on a punt coverage and yeah. then like being taken off the field with a, with a probable concussion, like all of those sports, same sports writers would be like, Oh, awesome. Right. Yeah. Like how are we on one hand going to like celebrate football as the most popular sport in America. And on the other hand, look at MMA and be like, but that's too violent. Yeah, I, mean, and- I understand the, the aesthetics are different, but like the physical damage is comparable. Yeah. Well, and at times much greater in football. And you're right though. It is like really a difference of aesthetics because football is a religion in America, but you, even if you're watching it on TV with like great, TV coverage and multiple cameras and everything. The players are still obscured by helmets and face masks. You don't look into their eyes at the very moment when it's clear nobody's home anymore. And in MMA and in fight sports, you do do that. And you see it very clear. Everything is so stripped down. They're not out there in helmets and shoulder pads. They're not getting carted off to the sidelines to do most of their human suffering. They're doing it right there in the spotlight, stripped to the waist, as you like to say, just right out there in front of it. And but that is for those sickos of us who like combat sports. That is part of the appeal is that it is a very stripped down sport and it is just very raw and very real. And it is sports without the metaphor. And it's all right out there for you to see. And sometimes looking at it is uncomfortable, but it's also like it feels very authentic. Number one this week, Ben, wait, so did the UFC give Joaquin Buckley, quote, all the bonuses or just the one $50,000 check? Because let's be honest, that kick should have been worth a little something extra. Yeah. Did you see this? There's a heartwarming moment. uh, Mm -hmm. Heartwarming backstage moment with Dana White. Yeah. And then we see uh, Dana White come, come over there and he, he says, I think what he says first is like people are saying to me online, they're saying, give that guy all the bonuses. And, and, and Buckley has kind of a reaction like, oh, yeah. And then, and then he also mentions later, he's like, Sean Shelby told me, like, go ahead and cut him that $50,000 check before he gets out of the shower. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. So the all the bonuses thing, that was just hyperbole to make a point. Just like your speech. <laughs> What you will actually get is the same $50,000 bonus that everybody, I mean, because this one, like especially Dana White's going on and on about how, what a big thing this was, like millions of people end up watching this highlight. Like I saw this highlight being pushed all kinds of different media places that don't ever even acknowledge that there is a thing called the UFC, you know, like all kinds of places. It's on ESPN, like the highlights. It's, it's a huge topic of conversation, generates millions of views for the UFC on, on Twitter. If you don't give this guy something more than just the same old $50,000 bonus, you are shortchanging him because he does like you, you have made this point that it is such a big deal and so out of the ordinary and it clearly is. So give him a little taste of that, like reward him more than just, just one, one bonus. Yeah. Like if you completely divorce this thing from context, just purely athletically speaking, it might be the greatest knockout we've ever seen. In, in mixed martial arts, like obviously if you start considering, you know, the moment that it happened in and what it means to, to the larger context of the sport and things like that, then you got to start considering other other highlights. You're having like a frankly, a completely different conversation if you start to consider, you know, Holly Holmes head kick on Ronda Rousey just because of what it meant in the sport, et cetera, et cetera. Francis Ngannou's knockout of Alistair Overeem because he punched his ticket to a heavyweight title fight or even like Yair Rodriguez is kind of ducking a uh, back elbow yeah. that he threw because it happened right at the end of the fight and, and like happened at like the last second that it could happen. Like you start to consider all that stuff. Then I think you're having a different conversation about what it means to be like the greatest knockout of all time. But if you just want a highlight, if all you want is an athletic move that where one guy gets horribly knocked out, uh, it's, you, this Joaquin Buckley one is on the short list, I think, of most amazing things we've ever seen. And if if you're cutting guys' checks purely on the basis of performance, and if you as a company have done a lot to divorce us from context over the last several years anyway, uh, man, yeah, 
give this dude all the monies as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Also, anytime we start talking about the $50,000 bonuses is a good time to remember that. Remember when it was like a, an era when guys would just show up for like UFC on versus three and they'd be like, the bonuses tonight are 75 grand each. And mm-hmm. that was like 10 damn years ago, man. Yeah. Now they're all 50 grand every single time. Just saying, something to think about. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's power rankings. Woo! We made it through the most powerful list in all of mixed martial arts. And by extension, that is the end of this week's co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget about the pledge drive over there on the Patreon. If you really, really want to see me get the shit scared out of me, you got to go sign up for the Patreon because we got to get those numbers and then I'll be forced to watch Hereditary, probably with a puke bucket, I would think, next to me, perhaps. So, you know, that's fun. That'll be fun for everyone involved. Uh, that's happening over the next couple of weeks. If you want to go sign up for the Patreon, see if we can get those numbers. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday over there at patreon.com slash co-main event for the live chat. Of course, uh, we're also watching Zodiac, the... Uh, david fincher film i'm actually excited about that and then uh friday we'll be back once again for the power hour where we will do co-main event podcast patreon power hour power rankings all over again i mean it'll be a different list we won't yeah. literally do it over again it'll be won't just new. Do the same ones you guys know what we're talking about yeah as for right now though we are done we are through we are out so do you want to come over and watch hereditary at my house or should i should I just wait until I know you're watching it and then rustle around in the bushes and bang my head against the window or something? I mean, if I'm going to watch it, I might as well get COVID-19 as well. So I might as well just come over to your house and okay. break my quarantine. So I don't know. We'll see. Still feeling pretty confident about the numbers, though. There'd be a pretty large influx of patrons to happen over the next, what are we looking at here, 15 days or so? So It's not impossible. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You, there you go again, downplaying the effect of the human spirit. We'll see. You, we'll see the size of your human spirit, folks. We'll see how many, what kind of crowd you can drive here. Okay. <laughs>